A man walks into a bank carrying a bag, hat slung low. He slips a piece of paper to the teller, a demand for cash. This is the sixth bank he's walked into with similar demands. His communication skills and calm under pressure help him just like in his previous careers. But his actions would go on to affect a community of more than just bank tellers. I'm Adam Toy. And I'm Dave McIver. And this is why. Hey, Dave, have you ever heard a story about someone you knew, but you just couldn't believe it was them? Actually, last summer, a former high school friend of mine ended up naked in a river in Kelowna and arrested. Well, that is odd, but check this out. A former broadcaster charged with robbing a pair of banks in Medicine Hat almost two years ago has pleaded guilty. Stephen Vogelsang entered guilty pleas on two counts of robbery today in Medicine Hat Provincial Court. He was originally arrested in October of 2017 after an RBC branch and a BMO branch were robbed. Vogelsang pleaded guilty to robbery charges in Saskatchewan earlier this month and is now serving three years in prison. The 55-year-old was a broadcaster with what is now CTV Winnipeg and was a journalism instructor for several years. So that was my broadcast journalism instructor. Yeah, that's right. You went to Red River College in Winnipeg. Yeah, in the Creative Communications Program, or CRECOM as it's known. I'm guessing you don't get this question all the time, but did you peg him as a bank robber? Not exactly. Uh, let's just say that when I met him as an instructor, I was struck by how popular he was with students, new and old, and how he carried himself with some real swagger, a boisterous and a larger-than-life character. But I only had him as an instructor for one course during one year of the program. I was introduced to Steve as one of my instructors. That's Brett McGarry, co-host of The Start with Mackling, McGarry and McNabb on 680 CJOB in Winnipeg. See, I started at Red River College in Creative Communications in 2002 at the same time he did and I was in his first class and he came bounding into our class wearing a suit he was uh, the sharpest dressed of our instructors at the time and he sort of laid down the law he came in and, and made it clear that he would not tolerate any nonsense from us but he also made it clear that he wanted to be fair and that he has expectations of us but we sh should also have expectations of him because we're paying good money to be there and we're investing our time in our future so we should demand the same from him that he demands from us so he was uh, my journalism instructor in first year one of my journalism instructors and he ended up uh, be just being probably my i want to say the uh, the instructor who sort of became a mentor to me during my time at Red River College. And so fair to say he influenced you in your career choice? Very, very much so, yeah. He sort of, he saw something in me that I don't think that I saw, and he gave me confidence to actually pursue this because I went to Red River College to, in the hopes of, of pursuing a career in radio, but without him sort of giving me a nudge, I don't know that I would have succeeded. So, yeah, I, I owe him a lot in terms of his instruction and his mentorship and, and his advice and basically everything that he put into that program. He cared deeply about his students. And uh, so, yeah, I, I'm very appreciative and look back at that time with fondness. Melissa Martin is another Creecom grad. She's now a reporter at large at the Winnipeg Free Press. Steve Vogelsang was her instructor in broadcast journalism. You know, it was a course I really enjoyed in the midst of a program that I had some um, 
issues with, to be honest. There was a lot about it that I was very frustrated with. And uh, and that was sort of the course that, in some ways, was almost worth the price of tuition for me. Interesting. Yeah, yeah it was it was a fantastic course. Like I, I will I won't take that away from him or anyone. It was a it was a really really excellent course for its era. So you've got this journalism instructor who is both popular with the kids, firm but fair, and has a bit of a head on him. Yeah, and he was a bit of a celebrity, having been a sportscaster during the era of the Winnipeg Jets in the 90s, and later news director at CTV Winnipeg. He still had a lot of social cachet from his time on TV. I mean, he was a very well-known local broadcast personality during the 90s there, and that was a time when, you know, it was kind of the last golden age of TV, right? Mm -hmm. Like of local television. Um, So back in those days, you know, being a broadcaster, being sort of a a name factor on local TV did have a bit of, um, you know, it came with a bit of fame to it or, you know, a certain social perception. And so flash forward a bit, and even though he's not a broadcaster anymore, he still has that name. You still recognize him from his days on TV. I certainly did. Mm-hmm. And I don't even think I ever watched a lot of CTV, but I certainly knew who he was. And he had, at that time, he had kind of parlayed that into, um, I mean, he emceed all these charity dinners, right? Like he was the, you know, sort of the guy, like very well connected, Um you know, kind of knew everyone in TV a little bit and, um, you know, was sort of sat on the board of big nonprofits in Winnipeg. He definitely had a name. He had a reputation. And it was one that, you know, I think a lot of Winnipeggers knew and responded to. Beyond being well-known in the community for his work with charities and at the college, Steve Vogelsang also became friends with some of the students who he helped graduate, like Brett McGarry. Yeah, we were we were friends. He uh, And I think that sort of started in our first term. At the end of that first term, we had to write exams. And while I was writing my journalism exam, I flipped my baseball cap inside out like a rally cap uh, while he, he had to leave the room for a minute. And then he came back and he said, McGarry, you, uh, what did he, how did he say? Ah, a, a rally cap. Hey, McGarry, you weasel. Well, that won't save you from your own failure or something, something along those lines. He called me out in front of everybody and called me a weasel. And that was, he, that was how he addressed me henceforth for the rest of my time at Red River. And for the time beyond that, it was always McGarry, you weasel. Right after we graduated, he asked me if I could house it for him. He wanted me to look after his cat, Gordon and his dog, Norman. And at the time, I said, I'm sorry, I'm allergic to cats, so I probably shouldn't. And then a couple of months later, he reached out to me again and said, as it turns out, our cat has died. We do need a house sitter still. Can you look after Norman? So I ended up house sitting for him and uh, his wife at the time. A number of times I took care of uh, Norman, and then later they had a dog named Mabel that I looked after. And... Well, I, I bet you I looked after their house a dozen times, and then they left for BC. And when they came back, I continued to house it for them uh, a couple of times. Um, I know that there was, you know, obviously his marriage fell apart, and things went awry there. But even towards the end, we still hung out from time to time, and we actually, like, in the weeks leading up to his arrest, we had been. Uh, just spending time at a nearby pub because we lived in the same neighborhood. So we'd get together for beers 
uh, once every couple of weeks. And there was one point even where we were supposed to get together, I think on a Tuesday, I can't remember the day of the week, but we were supposed to get together. He had to cancel. Mm -hmm. He said at the time it was stuff having to do with Red River College because I was under the impression, at least at the time, that he was still doing sort of freelance instructing in the business administration department. But it turns out he couldn't make it the next day because he was in, I think he was in Medicine Hat or it was in, no, I think he was in Saskatchewan at the time. Right. So when I put those, when I connected those dots eventually, I thought, what? What is going on here? Steve Vogelsang made a very brief court appearance here in Provincial Court in Medicine Hat earlier this morning. The former CTV News Director and Red River College instructor was dressed in prison blue garb. He gave a quick smile and a quick wave to a few familiar faces in the gallery before turning and facing the judge. As the judge read over his file, he even made comments about the celebrity in the room. Melissa, you spent some time interviewing Steve in Drumheller earlier this month. I wonder if you can step us through some of the major events in Steve life that led him from being a man about town who's known for his charity work and as a college instructor to sitting in the Drumheller Institution after not one but six bank robberies. It's still just one of the sort of strangest periods of time um, just to try to trace back how it all happened and again I you know I you know I don't necessarily want to psychoanalyze but I think literally everyone I spoke to who was close to Steve um, in that time uh, whether they're in the story or not, um, everyone agreed that essentially the downward spiral started in the same place, which was um, in uh, in 2011, the summer of 2011, when he moved to uh, Nelson, BC. And this was something that he and his um, now former ex-wife had uh, dreamed of, you know, kind of moving to this like pretty mountain town. And um, again, this isn't just his recollection. Like I do say this based on, it was kind of cross-referenced by a a number of different people who'd known him during that time. Mm -hmm. But it's sort of come down to, they move out to Nelson. It's this kind of small, uh, sort of small hippie town in some ways. It's um, a bit more of a, you know, private mountain community. Mm -hmm. And you have this guy coming in that does have this very strong personality that's maybe used to being the guy a little bit. You know, he's used to having these students who listen to him and he's used to having a lot of control in his own life and he gets out to Nelson and all of a sudden in that setting as a newcomer his personality is a bit grating it turns people off right it's he's not doing very well integrating into the community and as a result he's not finding jobs and that's um you know, that's very hard for him. And I think by his own sort of recollection or his own statement to me was that instead of sort of taking that as a humbling exercise, he actually became worse, became more abrasive, more assertive, um, which of course just feeds back into the original problem. Mm -hmm. And then before you know it, he's basically gone a few years, essentially not having work. He picked up a few gigs here and there, but you know, hasn't been able to find work. Um, sort of all the things that maybe he had built in Winnipeg are now far away and kind of meaningless. And, um, you know, he just falls into a very, very deep depression. And again, that's something that a number of people have testified to. And that is probably where this sort of downward spiral starts happening. 
So let me get this straight. Steve Vogelsang, a journalism instructor from Winnipeg, who was also a sportscaster and news director at a TV station, left Winnipeg for Nelson, B.C. He wasn't received with the same fanfare in the Kootenays, and he fell into a downward spiral that included depression. Melissa, am I reaching too far in thinking that robbing banks in Regina, Saskatoon, and Medicine Hat are acts of desperation, or did he talk about his motivations? Uh, so I just want to be careful about how we perceive that. Is it was an act of desperation? No, I don't think so. I think, um, you know, he said, and I would concur that clearly the decision to rob banks was um, a result of some sort of very distorted thinking, likely due to a multitude of factors. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, at the end of the day, it did come down to, um, you know, he was broke and owed money to uh, a lot of different people. And at the time, as I understand it, a lot of his behavior was quite erratic. Mm -hmm. And, um, came up with this idea that the easiest way to solve his debt issue without sacrificing his sort of reputation would be to rob 25 banks. And um, it's it was interesting to me that when we talked, like he did bring up this idea of to him that was a way to get out of this with his pride intact. That, you know, declaring bankruptcy and calling up a friend and saying, I'm broke, I need to crash on your couch for a while. Melissa, you wrote about Steve's first attempt to rob a bank in early July 2017. What was going through his mind when he walked into that first bank? You know, he kind of said that there was um, a lot of anxiety associated with it. He had gone, um, he had attempted to go the night before his first robbery. And when he saw there was a ton of people there, um, he just, you know, kind of essentially chickened out or he just thought, okay, this isn't going to work. Um, but he went back the next morning and then just decided, okay, we're going to gonna do this. He said to me that there definitely that there was a sort of like very intense anxiety, um, sort of adrenaline rush that didn't feel good necessarily. And he said it never, he told me that it never went away, that it wasn't, it didn't get easier um, you know, with the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth bank robberies. So that was just kind of a feature of it. But that, um, in his way of thinking at the time, he thought he didn't want to not do it because he was too scared to do it, right? Like, again, there's a sort of logic in it if there's a very distorted thinking happening. Um, and it, you know, it comes back to sort of this sense of pride. I mean, and that's what's been fascinating for for me to hear this from him and understand it is for sure. Here's a, I, I see the same qualities in what drove him to rob the banks as I did, you know, when he was an instructor and the success he had doing that, which is, you know, he did have this element of I'm someone who, you know, I'm someone who accomplishes what I set out to accomplish. I'm someone who makes it happen. I'm someone who kind of does this sort of on force of personality alone. So now in this sort of very altered situation, uh, this very harmful situation, he's still applying the same thought processes. So what's it like to hear that a former teacher, instructor, mentor, friend, someone you looked up to has been arrested for a bank robbing spree? Oh my God, it is still, I, that day is still so vivid to me. And I've talked to so many other people about it who had the same, who had similar reactions. Like, 
I remember I was scrolling Twitter and I remember seeing this headline that says, um, you know, I forget what, but just says like Steve Vogel saying arrested for robbing banks. And there was this photo from the security camera um, of these are the ones in the robberies in Medicine Hat, uh, Alberta. And I remember my first thought was, oh, weird, Steve must have a cousin who's also named Steve Vogelsang. Like, I knew the last name wasn't very common, so mm-hmm. the only way I could process this was it must be like his cousin or something. You know, like that was 100% what I thought. And then I took a second look at the photo, and I thought, that's not him. That, right? That's not him. And then I started looking more and thinking, like, N- no, that I think that's him. And then I had no idea what to think. I was sitting in a news meeting after our show, and the news, someone texted me the news. Mm-hmm. And then I looked at the story, and I looked at the picture, and then I texted him. And said, Steve, you know, say it ain't so, or something along those lines. And then I thought, well, what, what good is, why did I just send that text? I mean, he's in custody. He's not going to see this. But, so, but I guess that was the sort of showcased my reaction. It was just complete shock and, and disbelief. You know, that I thought that I was reading some sort of a, almost a parody story, or like, this can't be, this can't be him. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I had no idea that that was going on. I mean, on. imagine trying to kind of um, kind of square that and, and understand. And, I mean, there is this question of if somebody has been a really big positive influence on you in some ways or helped you in ways, but then they've also done something like this, you know, does that take away from their positive contributions or does that force you to reconsider those positive contributions? And that's, I think, always been an interesting question with this. It's not so much what happens to him, but more of how people um, have just kind of tried to process the not knowing and the questions that they had and and looking back on their own experience with him and Mm. wondering if it was real. Brett, when you look back at everything with Steve, his fall from grace, robbing six banks, how does that affect how you look at him as a mentor and as a friend, I've been I've been wondering about this. Well, because I, I believe everybody deserves a chance at redemption, and he has put it out there that he's accepted that he committed these crimes and he's doing his time. And but there are there are other things too. Like I didn't to like how do you just sort of give somebody a pass? But at the same time, he is in jail. He is doing his penance for the crimes that he committed. So. Um, I, I don't look back at the time as, as a waste. I don't think it's tarnished. He, he was a great instructor. He was a great friend and he just clearly lost his way and life took him in a, in an unexpected direction. I think to say the least, mm-hmm. uh, to, to call it an unexpected direction is a heavy understatement. So yeah, I, I I I think right now I'm still on the mixed feelings bag on that. I really don't know. But like I said, I do believe everybody deserves a chance to redeem themselves. So mm-hmm. hopefully he figures out how to do that. Mm-hmm. Melissa, how do you square the influence Steve Vogelsang had in Red River College in Winnipeg and the effect of the news that he's in jail? 
we're often encouraged to think of people in terms of good or bad, you know, um, good or bad, healthy or harmful. But what if it's more that you can have certain skill sets that are certain tendencies that if you put it in one situation, can be a force for, for good or can be positive or can build success. But then if you put them in a completely different situation with a different set of stress triggers, you know, the, those same qualities can drive very negative, antisocial and harmful behavior. Hmm. And that to me has sort of been the crux of this story is, and I don't want to discount um, at all, like certainly there's a mental health component to this um, as well. Um, but I, I don't think that, that, I don't think that dismisses the previous concept either is because mm. a lot of people, you know, a lot of people go through periods of severe depression and don't, um, you know, melt down and rob six banks. Right. And, you know, Steve, even, I think that was an exact quote from him. Um, so I think that to me has been what I've been interested in is the fact that I did see the same qualities in him. The fact that as he was describing the robberies, I heard the same thing. Mm-hmm. And you hear it through the lens of distorted thinking, um, but you know it wasn't it wasn't a different person than the Steve that I knew. In fact, it was the same one, just um, taking a very different direction. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is what is always um, the the core of this, and what I think I wanted to understand, and maybe what I came away feeling like I did. Melissa, what's a surprising discussion that came out of your profile of Steve Vogel saying in the Winnipeg Free Press? I think the biggest one, and this was, um, you know, what's interesting is that one of the sort of discussions that emerged around this, and I'm completely glad that this discussion happened. I am fully supportive of it because it's part of the story for me, too, is that there was some folks being like, why are we paying so attention to this one you know, criminal, this one mm. inmate. And this idea of, you know, there's so many people out there, you know, from worse circumstances than Steve that don't get a fraction of the same, you know, attention or care for what was going on in their life. And I agree with that. I think that's, and that's part of the story for me. And one thing that I hope people almost take away from it, because the reality is it's, you know, Steve was a person with a lot of privilege in a lot of different ways. And that certainly enabled him to have the success that he did. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also going to enable him to recover from where, you know, where his life took him, right? That there are people in prison with who had uh, none of the supports advantages opportunities in life that he did you know who never really had a a chance to even get on their feet at all and so one thing i think is super important is to recognize this that whatever you believe of what went on in his life in you know the mental health issues that he faced in the position he found himself in the debt of you know this or the challenge of finding a job um it really does come back to um, he had he still had options in a way other people did not, and that he's not 
to me sort of the poster child for um for you know being a victim of circumstances he's not mm-hmm. and um and I think he would agree with that too um and so I hope that if people read this and do feel compassion for him and or do feel like a desire to want to understand why he did what he did, I hope they would take that forward in the future. And when they look at, you know, other people who are serving time, other people who have committed crimes and are trying to get back on their feet, I hope they would apply the same level of care and the same level of concern and the same level of in, sort of wanting to understand what would bring a person to this, because I think that's incredibly missing is some people get the benefit of the doubt and others don't. And if anyone takes anything away from this, this story, it would be ask ourselves why we still are willing to give him the benefit of the doubt, but we would never give it to others. Brett, do you think you'll reach out to Steve now that he's in Drumheller? I have considered reaching out to him, yeah. And uh, I, I would I would like to speak to him again or, or maybe put pen to paper and write him a letter. I just haven't looked into how do I do that? How do I get a hold of him mm-hmm. while he's there? I think now that the these articles have come out and you're doing this show, I think that might give me the nudge to reach out because I think I just never thought that I could. I didn't realize I could. And then suddenly there was his face in the newspaper. And I thought, oh, okay, well, I guess you can reach out to him. Mm-hmm. So maybe I will. So, Adam, that's a wild story. Having him as a teacher yourself, what are your thoughts? You know, it's been interesting to hear what some fellow CRECOM grads here today and on social media have had to say about Steve Vogel saying he helped shape the careers of about a thousand journalism students. And now he's made the news. He's become the story. That was a rule that I remember Steve telling our broadcast J class. Don't make yourself the story. If you'd like to know more about Steve Vogel saying, we suggest you read Melissa Martin's article in the Winnipeg Free Press. This is Why is produced by me, Adam Toy, and Dave McIver. It's a national radio show and a podcast. You can reach us by email at thisiswhy at globalnews.ca and on Twitter at thisiswhy. If you like what you hear and want to hear more, make sure you subscribe to This Is Why so you never miss an episode. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And while you're there, give us a five-star rating. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in a week.